listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. <laughs> Hey everybody, we're back again with another episode. This time, Alex is back. Say hello, Alex. Hello, I'm back. Uh, but we lost Palmer this week. We don't know where he went. <laughs> or when he's coming back. <laughs> so, I talked to him last night. He's had a crazy week. He uh, had to set up a bunch of stuff for work. Uh, and that kind of ate up his entire time to do anything. Um, but it's all finally said and done. And he should be back next week. And hopefully we do a decent enough job to make him happy when we send all of this stuff for him to edit later. Ooh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. How you doing, Alex? Welcome back. I'm, thank you. Good to be back. How's how's everybody in your household doing? Oh, we're good. Corona free. There you go. So, can't be too disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, How you guys doing? We're, we're doing all right. We're hanging in there. Uh... Mary goes back to work on, like, severely reduced hours next week. Um, so she's looking forward to getting out of the house. Mm-hmm. I bet. Um, I'm hanging in there. I'm just... You still working from home all the time? Still working from home all the time. My couch is starting to develop a Sam Sam's ass-shaped imprint in it. Nice. Uh, nice, nice. Because I... I I prefer to work from my couch than to work from my desk, which makes no sense. But No, I'm the same way. Unless I have something really important to do, I'll be working from my couch usually. Yeah, I take like I take my calls from my desk and like any of my mm-hmm. video calls that I have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would not look super professional if you took your calls <laughs> from your couch. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're hanging in there. We're uh we're we're getting through it just like everybody else. Uh I haven't killed any of my plants yet. Everything's actually still pretty green and looking good. I didn't know you had plants. Yeah, I uh When did you get plants? Uh, so yeah, it was um I guess the first week that you were out. Uh-huh. Um I I've started vegetable plants. Oh, okay. So, you got like some peppers or uh, something? Well, I would. I will soon. So I I got pepper seeds because when okay. I went to get like the plants, I didn't have the pepper plants at the time. Um, but it's taken forever to get like the seed starters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally found some. So those should be here in the next couple of days and I can start growing my pepper plants. But I've got a tomato plant. I've got some carrots. I've got two things of kale because the wife wanted kale. Okay. Um, and Palmer said that I should have more than one. And uh, some herbs. Oh, some herbies? Some herbies. Um, and everything's still green and growing. So two weeks nice. in, I haven't murdered anything yet. Hell yeah. Good for you. So I'm, I'm even closer to becoming a real-life farmer. <laughs> and I will have a marketable skill for the apocalypse. I think that's really important. I can grow stuff as long as there is uh, access to the internet for me to find out how to grow them. How to do it, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I would not by any means trust myself to just, like, know how to do it without somebody else's help. Honestly, I wouldn't really trust myself to be able to do much these days without the help of YouTube. <laughs> Speaking of YouTube, though... Uh, 
Elliot McCann posted something on our uh, Terror Incognito group page. It's a like a 15 minute short okay. that I watched the other day, uh, and it is fantastic. Uh, it's um, it's called Reboot, I believe, and it's a little. Little video of uh like a it it starts out looking like you know claymation or something or like stop motion um so I, I don't know if the whole video is done that way as far as this but it's a a little skeleton who was an actor in a movie called Ten Thousand Sandals I think is what it was called uh and it's him trying to get a role in you know other movies but he only. He only is he being typecasted? He has been typecasted. <laughs> he only gets to audition for the role of a monster. He never gets to speak. He only gets to like growl, okay. uh, and he doesn't get any of the roles. And eventually finds out that they're re- like he he's walking through like a set backlot and stumbles onto this one set where apparently they're rebooting his movie that he was made famous for. Okay, but they're doing it with CGI. Mm. And he gets really pissed off and throws the the mocap actor out of the way, the guy that's playing him, and he just starts attacking like he's in the movie again. <laughs> uh, Perfect. It's a lot of fun. Um, so check out our check out the group page, and it's I think the top post right now. Um, but it's it's fun to see even stuff like this making fun of all the reboots happening right now, right? And whether or not they're actually needed. It is a hot button of debate. It is. In these in these days, I I don't really know if reboots are particularly on the uh, schedule for stuff coming up, because who knows what these studios are going to do to try to make money. Mm. I think maybe we'll see more book-to-movie adaptions this year. I think we will. Uh, and actually, the first thing in our headlines this week is about that. So you ready to dive in? Let's do it. All right. So this week, we've got a handful of things to talk about, starting with a book-to-movie adaptation, uh, Lord of the Flies. Uh, Warner Brothers reacquired the rights to William Golding's classic novel a couple of years ago, and apparently Luca Guadagnino, who's most recently known for the reboot of Suspiria, uh, he signed on to direct it. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter is reporting that Patrick Ness from Chaos Walking and A Monster Calls is doing the script. And that the studio at one point was developing a female skewing version of Lord of the Flies, but has changed course and is aiming to hew closer to the original novel with this feature project. Uh, And the original novel, for those who didn't have to read it in grade school, like most people here, uh, the original novel follows a group of schoolboys stranded on a deserted island who descend into a savage social order. There's also a pig head on a stick. (laughs) Yeah. It conveniently left that part out. And Guadagnino is producing this alongside Marco Morabito. Um... Did you like this book in, when you had to read it in, I don't know, was it high school, middle school? Yeah, I think I read it in, like, ninth or tenth grade. Um, okay. Yeah, I remember liking the book a lot. I, it's one of those, you know, the, the the note about the studio considering to do a female skewing version, like, I that's fine. This, this isn't one of those stories that, like, if it's all boys or all girls makes a difference. No. Like, I think as, it's as long more as... more about mob mentality, yeah, right? Yeah, as long as the concept is still there, then I think you're fine. 
Yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed the book. I, I'm curious to see what they do with this, if this goes like a spookier route. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty spooky book anyways, right? Yeah, but it's absolutely. It's more of like yeah. a, I don't know, like a sociological look at groups. Yeah. Which are scary enough in and of themselves. Yeah, and it's certainly the right time to do something like that. You know, mob right. mob mentality. Mm-hmm. Everybody let us out. Let us do our things. Let us live our lives so that we can put a pig head on a stick and create a new social order. I love it. Um, R.I.P. to Piggy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, this one's going to make Palmer super happy because I still haven't watched it. Um but I know Palmer has. He's talked about it a whole bunch. But Andre Overdahl's coming back to do a sequel for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, Dan Hagerman and Kevin Hagerman are also returning to write the script, with Guillermo del Toro coming back to write the story. Um, it's unclear yet whether or not del Toro is also going to be a producer. Um, mm-hmm. But the general assumption is that we are going to get to see more of the scary stories that Palmer wants from this franchise. Uh, have you seen the first one yet? I have not. Okay. I've watched the cinema sins for it. Yeah. <laughs> but I haven't actually watched the movie. All right. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Cause sometimes I'll watch the cinema sins stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. I've seen the movie. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people are really either liked this movie quite a bit or were very disappointed in it just because it wasn't as scary. I think as people expected it to be, which I don't really know that they sold it as a super scary movie anyway. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily supposed to be. I think it was just supposed to kind of stay true to what it was based on. Um, Absolutely. And I'm, So are they just, I assume they're just going to pull for more of the stories? Then? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And I know Palmer wanted to see some of the other stories come through, so I'm sure he'll be super excited about this. And of course, this is the one week where he's not here. Uh, yeah. Which means so the two of us are like I don't know. Yeah, which means we don't have to talk about this one anymore right now. So next up, Snowpiercer. Bye bye. <laughs> uh, Bong Joon Ho, fresh off of his uh, Best Picture nod, is getting some of his stuff adapted. He's going to turn into the Korean Stephen King. I'm calling it now. Uh, <laughs> I saw a trailer for this the other night, and it like it threw me off. Um, mm-hmm. And then I read this article talking about it, and I was like, well, I don't know if this is really hard, because I don't, I wouldn't call Snowpiercer to, uh, like, I wouldn't even consider Snowpiercer to be genre, but it was interesting enough that I thought I'd bring it up. Um, apparently TNT is adapting his movie into a series, which kicks off Sunday, May 17th. Uh, Class Warfare is the name of the game in this series, and it's going to be a violent battle from the bottom to the top, or in this case, the back of the train to the front. Uh, I think they call that the caboose. The caboose. Sam. The caboose to the <laughs> engine. Um, and all of the dining and sleeping cars in between. Uh, set after the world has become a frozen wasteland, Snowpiercer centers on the remnants of humanity who inhabit a perpetually moving train that circles the globe dealing with class warfare, social injustice, and the politics of survival. We've got Jennifer Connelly, David Diggs, Allison Wright, Mickey Sumner, Susan Park, and a whole bunch of other people lined up to star in this series. Um, there was a movie that came out recently that we... The one about the levels yeah, on Netflix? Yeah. Yes. I, I, was, I got vibes from that. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch that one yet, and I remember when I saw that trailer initially... Uh, my first reaction was like, okay, it's Snowpiercer in a building. Yeah. Um, 
I guess apparently that movie maybe did well because now TNT's going back to the well and they're just going to turn Snowpiercer into a series. I don't know how they're going to do this because the movie had a very, like, finite ending. Like, the train breaks down and people get off and they see a little sprout of grass coming up through the snow. Um, Okay. So it'll be interesting if it's just going to be like, hey, we're starting from the beginning. We're just going to tell, like, the same story or the new story. Uh, I also don't know how many seasons you can make out of this. Yeah, unless they just make completely different story. Yeah, I mean, it would that, it would be kind of meta if it's like a never-ending train and we just get this never-ending series that goes on longer than The Walking Dead. I was going to say 10 more years. Yeah, 10 more years. <laughs> that movie we were talking about um, on Netflix with the different levels of people, it's called The Platform. The Platform, okay. Um, it's just for anyone who wants to check it out. Yeah, so I, I know I was a fan of the Snowpiercer movie. I think Palmer saw it. He didn't really like it that much. Mm-hmm. Um but I like weird shit like that. Plus, it's got like yeah. some of my favorite actors in it. Um, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves Jennifer. Everyone Connelly. loves She's... Jennifer Connelly. Uh, so I'll probably keep an eye out on this. I don't often find myself tuning into like network television. Network, yeah, network TV. But I, <laughs> I, we'll see how this goes. I, it, what the fuck else am I doing with my life? It's true. So there's not much else going on. So if you're gonna plunge into anything, yeah, why not Snowpiercer? Yeah, I mean they're all confined to a train. We're all confined to our homes. It kind of works. Mm-hmm. It does. Sooner or later, I'm gonna have to start eating my cats. You know, it's fine. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, next up, we've got a new movie from Olivia Wilde that she is directing and starring in. Picked up by New Line Cinema. It's called Don't Worry, Darling. It's a psychological thriller about a 1950s housewife that, uh, whose reality begins to crack, revealing a disturbing truth underneath. Um, it's starring everybody's Ari Aster darling Florence Pugh, uh, Shia LaBeouf, who's probably just going to stand there and scream, do it, and Chris <laughs> Pine. Um, Shane and Carrie Van Dyke, who are from The Silence, wrote the original version of the script with Katie Silverman on board to do a complete rewrite. I don't really know what that means. I don't know why you'd have to do a complete rewrite. Maybe that's just like a normal thing. Maybe. Uh, but Vertigo Entertainment's Roy Lee, who's from It and the Ring, will produce with Wilde and Silverman, and Catherine Hardwick is the executive producer. So this is just Olivia Wilde's second movie, right? Because she did that one with the girls in high school. What was it called? Shit. It was a comedy. Yeah. Um, kind of Booksmart. like super bad Yeah, it was Booksmart. Booksmart, that's right. I'm interested also to see Chris Pine. I don't really watch a lot of movies with him in them. I haven't seen him in a while. No, and I feel like Florence Pugh and Shia LaBeouf are, I don't know, they're they're very good. Not that Chris Pine isn't, I just don't know. Yeah, it's funny. Like, a few years ago, you had, like, Chris Pine, Chris Pratt, and Chris Evans. The other Chris, yeah. (laughs) They were all doing all sorts of stuff. And then Chris Pine just kind of fell off the radar. Like, Chris Pratt, like lunged into Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Evans lunged into the Avengers, and Chris Pine kind of got left behind. He did. I remember him, I guess, like, like the last time I watched him in a movie was Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I think that's the last one that I saw him in. Because he was in a bunch of that. He was in, like, two or three of those. Yeah, he was was our replacement for um, William Shatner. That's right. But uh, no one can no one can replace the Shat Man. Nobody can replace the Shat Man, uh, except for that bald guy in Next Generation. Yeah, <laughs> he's the best. Good old good old Patrick Stewart. 
Patrick Stewart, thank you. I was like completely blocking on his name. I feel like there's just a bunch of people in their car screaming. <laughs> <laughs> it's Patrick Stewart, you fucking idiot. It's all right, guys. We got there. We figured it out. We um, figured it out. Next up, we've got some interesting things to, uh, that you could potentially buy if you've got an obscene amount of money. Uh, mm-hmm. A24 is doing an auction uh, with New York... Currently being hit hard by the coronavirus, A24 has decided to lend a hand by auctioning off some memorable props and costumes from their movies, including movies like Hereditary, Midsummer, and The Lighthouse. All proceeds from this auction will be donated to four different New York City-based charities, and they go on to explain, as a company founded and based in New York City, A24 wants to give back to the city as it weathers this crisis and begins to rebuild. 100% of each auction's proceeds will be donated to one of four charities helping New York City's hardest-hit communities and frontline workers, the FDNY Foundation, Food Bank for NYC, NYC Health and Hospitals, and Queens Community House. Uh, They're doing the auction in stages, so the first stage is currently up and running. It's called the A24 Attic Auction. went live at noon on April 22nd, and I think it goes for two weeks uh, it includes screen-used props from 8th grade Euphoria, Mid-90s, and Ari Aster's Hereditary. The only things currently listed for Hereditary that you can get are two different heirloom doormats, one that has the current bid at a very reasonable $4,250, <laughs> and the other one is an absolute steal at $7,000. I checked these just numbers. $7, just $7,000, huh? $7,000. I checked these numbers last night, so they may have changed by now. No, I'm on the website right now, and it's they're the same. Okay. $7,000. Um... For a doormat, and the two doormats. I mean, it's a it's a dope doormat. <laughs> now, since you're on the site right now, if I remember correctly, yes. both of the doormats are identical except one is red and one is green, right? Well, no, the red the red doormat is the one that was Annie's, and then the green one is the one that was supposed to be for Charles, but then was Charlie's doormat. Oh, okay. So there's they're different. The one for Annie is the one that's going currently for seven thousand dollars. Got it. Um. No word yet. I'm assuming probably not, um, but it doesn't look like you're going to be able to put in an auction price for the pole that uh, is the real scene stealer in that movie. Um, the Midsummer-themed auction goes live on April 27th, so that would be on Monday, uh, which includes 10 items from the film, such as the flower dress, so you can finally get your Halloween costume. Uh, I would never wear that for Halloween. Are you kidding? <laughs> if anyone barfed on it, I would punch them in the face. <laughs> uh, the Harga mallet and the headpiece from the bear costume. I think that would be fucking dope. That like, would be cool. I would love to like get both of those things and just mount them on my wall. Right. Or like get some sort of like cool mannequin. You know what I yeah. mean? And you're, that would be dope. That would be so awesome. Um, that flower costume is just amazing, though. I can't imagine. Like, if, if the doormats are going for $7,000... I'm going to guess that the flower dress is probably going to go for about 25000 I was going to say like $30,000, I bet you. I think the mallet is going to come in around five or six, and I think mm-hmm. the headpiece from the bear costume is going to be right in the middle around like twelve or fifteen. Yeah. I mean, just even from like a, an art perspective, that flower dress is... Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's it, crazy. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if that flower dress went for like fifty or $60,000. Yeah, um, or maybe even if like a museum buys it or something like that. Yeah, I, that that is exactly the kind of thing you expect to see end up in a museum, a uh, like traveling museum show about like movie costumes and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then in the wake of the uncut gems auction, which is going to take place after the midsummer auction, uh, there's going to be one final one that also has four items from Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, which starts May 11th. 
including or included in that one are the carved mermaid and the infamous light itself. Does it not look very small in the picture? It does look really little. So is it like a min? I, I assume it's the original one, right? Yeah. It looks. I guess it's maybe just the perspective of the photo. There's nothing to compare it to, but it looks like you could put it on top of your table. Yeah. <laughs> Which is going to be a little bit weird, but we'll post a link to the auction in the description. Um, I don't know if you were able to just like make donations. Right. Uh, I feel like you should be able to if they're just trying to raise money for all these charities. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't dig too far into that. No. Uh, but if you f- but can we buy a delicious lobster dinner made by Willem Dafoe? Oh my god! Because <laughs> I would spend money on. I that. would, I would spend. I would, I would pull all of our money together and take out <laughs> a second mortgage lobster. on the house for the three of us to be able to go have dinner with Willem Dafoe while he makes us lobster and screams at us. That'd be so good, and just drink freaking turpentine or Dude, whatever it is. Palmer's gonna end up selling his house for this. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I know. I wonder how excited he's about. That. <laughs> um. Next up, we've got uh, an interesting video that came up from the special effects uh, team that was behind the hunt. So Palmer and I have been talking about it a lot lately. I know we talked about it last week. Um, and I think, Alex, the last episode I think you were on was the one where we did um, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes. Um, so we're, we're fully on board with giving more people than just the actors and directors the credit that they're due. Uh and this video is exclusively available on Bloody Disgusting. We'll post the link to the video in the description. But uh, the VFX company behind The Hunt, Pixamoto, who also did Hugo and Game of Thrones, sent over a VFX breakdown video that's debuted on the site. It shows how some of The Hunt's bloodiest and goriest scenes were created with various gore gags, including a shoe to the eye, an arrow to the throat, a bullet to the head, and the cover image for the video, which is... Uh, a body in a spike pit. Um, it's pretty awesome. It's a really cool little video. It's about two minutes long. Um, it goes by real quick, and you don't. There's no voiceover or anybody talking about it. I'm assuming if there is going to be something like that, it'll end up on special features of the DVD that's coming out soon. Um, but it is really cool to see. Um, there, the one that really stuck with me, or I guess the two that really stuck with me, were the uh, hedge. One was the girl getting her head shot next to the shed mm-hmm. and how they show that where uh, she's standing there. And I think it was in front of a green screen. And then you just see like the really quick editing techniques they use to just kind of like create the blood splatter and everything. Um, yeah. And then the other one was the guy who gets shot from behind and his head explodes. Uh, and it reminds me a lot of scanners and everybody knows how they did it for scanners. Um, but this shows kind of the the magic behind it with the use of computers these days. Uh, and it looks really good. Um, fun little two-minute watch, and I'm looking forward to seeing if this actually ends up with more information on the special features. Have you watched the movie? Yet? I have not yet, uh, because I'm waiting for the DVD release to happen um, okay. and the via, the full VOD release to happen so that I'm not paying 20 bucks to just rent $20 it. $20 yeah. just to watch it, yeah. yeah. Because if it goes down to like 13 or 14 bucks, I'll pick it up. Uh, just because That's free fair. Betty Gilpin. Right? Everybody loves Betty. Yeah. Uh, and the final two things we have this week uh, for the headlines are a little bit of somber news. 
no Corona cancellations that I found, but instead we're replacing them with the in memoriam Paul Haddad, the voice actor for Leon in the original Resident Evil 2 game. Uh, because we can't not talk about Resident Evil games these days, uh, <laughs> who also provided voice work in the Resident Evil 2 tribute Daymare 1998, passed away last week from throat cancer at the age of 56. His death was announced by Daymare 1998 developer Invader Studios, who also paid tribute to Haddad on Twitter, saying, Paul Haddad, our dear friend and an icon among the RE community, has passed away recently. We've been truly honored to have the chance to meet and work with such a great man and a brilliant professional that he was. Rest in peace, Paul. You will live forever in our hearts. And one that hits a little bit closer uh, for me, uh, just because Mm -hmm. I do love the movie that he's so well known for, Philippe Nahon uh, passed away over the weekend. The French actor uh, had been battling an illness which was aggravated by COVID-19. He passed away at the age of 81, best known to horror fans as Latour, the killer in Alexandra Aha's High Tension, uh, who was one of the more memorable slasher maniacs in the last several decades. He also starred in Gaspar Noe's uh, films Karn, I Stand Alone, and Irreversible. And he was in Brotherhood of the Wolf and another one that's a French title that I cannot pronounce. He's been acting since 1962. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that's a long career. And has almost, 222 acting almost, credits on IMDb. Almost 60 whole years. That's wild. Yeah. Um, other horror movies that are on his resume include Humans, The Pack, Cannibal, Horsehead, and Nothing Sacred, as well as The Last Deadly Mission and Spielberg's War Horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so rest in peace to those two. Uh, you will be missed. And I know Palmer's probably going to be sad about Paul Haddad because of his current obsession with Resident Evil. Uh, But that wraps it up for the headlines this week, and we got a few things that are actually coming out this week for you guys to watch at home during the Now Slaying. All right, so this week for the Now Slaying, we've got uh, Penance Lane came out on April 21st on VOD from Level 33 Entertainment. Crimson Matthews, a repentant but violent ex-con, believes he's found a path to redemption by odd-jobbing on Penance Lane. Unfortunately, his work leads him to unearth an unspeakable evil and discover just how far a dying town will go to bury its past. Now Matthews has every reason to fear that the dilapidated old house will prove to not only be his latest prison, but also his tomb. Ooh, spooky. Uh, Trailer for this looks... Fine, I guess. Fine? <laughs> okay. Uh, this was probably my the one I was least looking forward to seeing. Okay. Um, but who knows? You know, sometimes I get surprised by that stuff. Uh, next up, on April 24th, from VOD from High Octane Pictures, An English Haunting. In 1960s England, Blake Cunningham and his alcoholic mother are forced to move into the mysterious Clemente Hall, a vast isolated manor house, to care for his dying grandfather, who resides in the attic room. Soon, ghostly goings-on fill the house with dread as it becomes apparent grandfather's illness may have a supernatural cause that can only be cured by uncovering the terrifying secrets of the house and its dark history. So this is exactly like the type of terrible haunting movie that is so up my alley. Yes. <laughs> it looks bad, but it looks It looks so bad, good. but it's a period piece. Yeah. Uh, I, I like a good period piece. Uh, spooky ghosts. Spooky ghosts. Uh, and the trailer for this looks okay. It, it, yeah. it looks like it, it doesn't give a whole lot away. Uh, and there's some spooky moments. 
in the trailer where uh, the one that I remember the most is like he's looking through like a kind of fogged up window and he thinks he sees a person outside. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and he's like, is anybody else living here? Is there anybody else working here? And they're like, his mom's like, no. Uh, and so he turns back to the window and like wipes it off and there's nothing outside. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is going to get spooky. Spooky. And it's got that kind of dark green, you know, tone to mm-hmm. it. It's, it, looks, it looks great. Yeah, this one looks pretty good. Uh, next up, we've got Bit on April 24th on VOD from Provocator Films, a transgender teenage girl on summer vacation in L.A., fights to survive after she falls in with four queer feminist vampires who try to rid the city's streets of predatory men. Amazing. I was expecting <laughs> to just, like, want to th- just, like, throw my computer in the trash after watching this trailer. Um, uh-huh. I'm actually kind of looking forward to watching this. <laughs> it doesn't look... It looks good. It, it looks way better than I expected it to. Uh, it looks it, kind- it looks like a lot of fun. It's got, like, a kind of campy comedy feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm probably going to check this one out also. Uh, we got two more to go. This one, uh, this next one, one BR, one bedroom. Uh, I don't know how it's actually supposed to be pronounced. Um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming just one bedroom based on what the movie's about. On April 24th on VOD from Dark Sky Films, after leaving behind a painful past to follow her dreams, Sarah scores the perfect Hollywood apartment, but something is not right. Unable to sleep, tormented by strange noises and threatening notes, her new life quickly starts to unravel. By the time she learns the horrifying truth, it's too late. Caught in a waking nightmare, she must find the strength to hold on to her crumbling sanity or be trapped forever in an existential hell. This one actually like, legitimately looks This good. is my sneaky good pick of the week. Um, yep. It's got... What was the name of that movie that Palmer really liked and I thought wasn't great, where it's the woman who uh, gets committed to the asylum... Oh yeah, I forgot shit with the that was not a bad movie. On Netflix, right? Yeah. In, in, insane? Yes, insane. It? Uh it, okay. it's it's got uh like shades of that. Um because mm-hmm. she you know, she keeps hearing like noises with the like pipes in the wall and nobody else in this like apartment complex can hear it. Uh right. and so like keeps her up at night and then she starts getting notes and there's this big thing about when she moves in, she's asked if she has any pets and she lies and says no, she has one cat. And then towards the end of the trailer for it, her oven is, like, bright orange and on fire. And there's a note on the stove that said, uh, it says no animals. Yeah. And I'm like, God damn it, no. <laughs> like, when, that, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to watch this one. Um, yeah. Because sometimes I think about that, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and finally, this week, we've got Witches in the Woods on VOD on April 24th from Shout Studios. Jill, a tenacious UMass freshman, abandons her studies for an off-the-grid snowboarding trip, but after the sun has dipped below the horizon, her SUV mysteriously becomes lost in the freshly logged mountains, eventually running out of gas. But temperatures, as the temperatures fall, the group dynamic unravels as a virtual and then literal witch hunt begins. Mm. Meh. Yeah, meh on that one. So... A uh, couple of good options this week. I'm I'm definitely going to try to track down uh, one bedroom bit and an English haunting. Yes. Because um, those three really stuck out to me. But that does it for the now slaying. And so now we can wrap up this month's stoner bo- stony baloney fest <laughs> with a movie that Alex and I are going to have to debate whether or not mm. it even belongs uh, 
on in the horror zeitgeist. Yeah, in the horror zeitgeist. Should we? As long as you don't fucking say Lovecraftian too many times, I think we'll be fine. Uh, I don't even have that in my notes, but I am going to add it in one spot specifically. All right. Uh, well, let's get down to fighting then. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. This week we're talking about a movie that even Palmer and I couldn't figure out if it was appropriate or not to talk about on our podcast, but we decided to do it anyway because of the gore. We're talking about This is the End. People from The Office hook up with people from Freaks and Geeks to get so high they rip off Be Kind, Rewind, preview The Walking Dead Season 5, and go to a Dream Backstreet Boys concert. Released in 2013, written and directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and starring the who's who of... uh, Judd Apatow alums, uh, with everybody playing uh, a supposedly exaggerated role of themselves. Uh, Some of them play the role that I imagine they actually are in real life. Um, So in this movie, we've got James Franco, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, Jay Baruchel, Danny McBride, Craig Robinson, Michael Sarah, Emma Watson, Mindy Kaling, David Krumholtz, Christopher Mintz-Plass, Rihanna, Martin Starr, Paul Rudd, Channing Tatum in probably the greatest cameo of all time, <laughs> Kevin Hart, Aziz Ansari. We've got the Backstreet Boys, which include Nick Carter, Howie Durrow, uh, Brian Luttrell, AJ McLean, and Kevin Richardson. And then we've also got uncredited Evan Goldberg as himself and Jason Siegel as himself, probably uh, uncredited mostly because his penis wasn't shown. I couldn't even tell it was him. Yeah. Um, so... Full disclosure, there's a strange choice of movie that we have this week. It's not really a horror movie in my eyes, uh, and it's questionable as to whether or not it's even a genre movie. Palmer and I kicked it around a whole bunch last week and decided to go with it because of the obscene amounts of gore. Uh, Plenty of drug use, which fits the theme for this month, and we just wanted to do something silly and fun. Um, Unfortunately, Palmer's not here to take part, so fuck him anyway. Um... As I mentioned, it's got pretty much everyone that Judd Apatow's ever worked with in this movie is what happens when actors answer the question we all ask, I wonder what they're like in real life. But they crank that up to 11. Uh, According to writer and director Evan Goldberg, the movie was about 85% improv, comparing it to Superbad, which was 95% scripted, Pineapple Express, which was about 50% scripted. So where did this crazy idea of a movie actually come from? It's based on a 2007 short film titled Jay and Seth vs. the Apocalypse, which answered the question of what's the biggest movie that we can make with the smallest budget. Uh, They filmed it all pretty much in one room, uh, which gives you an idea of how small the budget was. Uh, When it was time to make it into a feature-length film, the team behind it thought it would sell to a studio with ease, but nobody seemed to get it, aside from those that appeared in it. Although getting the actors together was the easy part, with some people even getting random promises, like Kevin Hart being told he wouldn't be the first one to die as the black guy in the movie. Uh, And he's not. I think he's, like, number 13. Uh, There you go. Even the people that weren't in this movie but were in others with the cast got to make some decisions. Simon Pegg starred in Paul with Seth Rogen, which came out a few years prior to this, uh, and was able to get the name changed. Originally titled Apocalypse for the working title, it was renamed The End of the World. Uh, However, releasing that same summer, Simon Pegg's movie The World's End was similarly titled and had a similar concept. Uh, Simon reached out to Seth Rogen and asked if the name could change as Pegg's movie had a location with the name The World's End, which is why the movie had the same name. So, let's dive in and talk about the power of friendship. (laughs) 
Uh, all right, so the movie opens up with Jay Baruchel arriving in L.A. to visit with his old friend and uh, fellow actor Seth Rogen, who invites Baruchel to attend a housewarming party hosted by James Franco. That's enough of a setup to really understand that this is going to be a weird fucking movie. Uh, after breaking Rogan's attempt at eating healthy and getting higher than the moon, they head to the raucous party where many celebrities and others drink, take drugs, have sex, and commit other immoral acts. Most of this is done by Michael Sarah. Uh, and Baruchel is uncomfortable being around this many people uh, that he doesn't know that well, which include Jonah Hill, who's being, like, the nicest person, who's being so nice that you can't tell if he's fucking with you or not. Uh, right. Christopher it Mintz comes Plus. off completely disingenuous. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Mintz Plass is there, Michael Sarah, of course, Craig Robinson, and strangely, Emma Watson shows up in this group of people. Uh Seth decides to go with Jay to a convenience store for cigarettes where there seems to be a large earthquake that knocks over all the shelves, temporarily burying Seth. Uh, so let's stop for a moment and talk about Michael Sarah in this movie. Um, I'm. You mean skinny, coked out? Skinny, coked out <laughs> Michael Sarah. Uh, so, <laughs> as Mindy Kaling said, 110 pound hairless probably has a huge dick. Yes. <laughs> Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah. <laughs> um, so, I know we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but I know Michael Sarah and Jesse Eisenberg always kind of get mixed up. Um, I'm on the side that thinks in real life Michael Sarah is probably an asshole and Jesse Eisenberg isn't. Um, Alex, I think you're the other way around, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree. I think Michael Sarah is probably a super nice dude, and I think Jesse Eisenberg is kind of a dick. Okay. I think he has that dry... I think I would like him, because if you see him in interviews, he has that really sort of dry, almost seems like he's making fun of you type of attitude, yeah. which I find to be funny. Yeah, A lot of people don't take well to that, but this is not a question about Jesse Eisenberg. It's about Michael Sarah. It Sarah. is about Michael Sarah. <laughs> so in the first 15 minutes of this movie... Um, and I, I have to give them credit for this. The the movie's pacing is really good. It takes about 12 minutes for everything to start falling apart. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the first 15 minutes, we see Michael Sarah doing uh, line after line off the dining room table. Uh, Mindy Kaling, as Alex mentioned, wanting to fuck that hairless big dick boy. Uh, or she'll shoot herself. Or she'll shoot herself. <laughs> uh, he then turns around and asks uh, Christopher Mintz Platts if it smells like Coke and then blows a mountain, a Scarface-sized mountain of cocaine into his face uh, and hooks up for a threesome in the bathroom. Uh, and that's kind of the instigator for Jay to get the fuck out of there because he tries to go to the well, bathroom. Well, you forgot, too. He slaps Rihanna he, in the he ass. He does slap <laughs> Rihanna's ass, and we're going to talk about that, too. Um, so according <laughs> to this really good interview that was done with most of the cast by GQ, uh, there's a there's a lot of back and forth about all of this. So uh, according mm-hmm. to James Franco, the joke with Michael Sarah's character is he's clearly the sweetest guy in show business. But here he plays the biggest asshole in show business. Seth Rogen says Michael's death was the first one that, like, kicks off all of this shit. So he thought it would be funny to kill someone you don't expect to die. And it needed to be someone who is so despicable. So when they do die really graphically, you're entertained by it, not wrapped up in the fact that this person you like just died. So it seemed a perfect storm was to have Michael Sarah be a coked out lunatic. And he took <laughs> it even farther than we ever could have imagined. Uh, Evan Goldberg says we wrote this insane character for him and his only note as an actor, which it's rare to even have only one usually you get a bunch more is uh i want to wear this windbreaker and it was his I fucking love that windbreaker. it was his real life windbreaker uh michael sarah said it was something to hide behind i guess it helped my body language to pull down on it and tug at it you know strange jonesing behavior i said i really think that windbreaker is going to help me be a major <laughs> asshole uh 
Um, if that's all it takes is a day glowed like nylon windbreaker dude, to shit make is, you an asshole. That shit is great. It's so <laughs> 90s. I fucking love it. I know. I feel like I owned that. I feel like most of us own that. <laughs> um, but as you mentioned, he also slaps Rihanna's ass. And uh, this was a risk. This is a calculated risk. Uh, so Goldberg says in this interview, Michael said to all of us, I'm going to ask her if I can slap her butt for real. I think it'll make the joke way funnier. And we're like, yeah, totally. Go for it. Go nuts. You should totally ask Rihanna yeah. if you can fucking smack her ass. Yeah, why not? She's here, right? Um, so he asked permission to do the butt slap, and she said, you can do it, but I'm coming back way harder. If if Rihanna, and specifically Rihanna, because I feel like she mm-hmm. is not the kind of person to trifle with. But if I no. ever asked her, if I ever had the chance to ask her anything and that was her response, I'm just not going to do it. Oh, you're not going to do no. it? You're scared? No, I'm absolutely <laughs> scared. Uh, oh, I would love to be smacked in the face by Rihanna. So she hit Michael the first time. The second time we're all laughing and Michael was like, oh, God, it hurts. And she was laughing and he was laughing. And the third time she cupped his ear and it messed him up. Ooh. Michael Sarah says it was like a flash bomb went off. There was a high pitched tone ringing in my ear and I didn't know where I was. Uh, Goldberg chimes in saying, he was like, I kind of can't hear very well. We were laughing. He was like, no, will you help me sit down? My balance is kind of gone. I've genuinely never seen a person get slapped that hard in real life. And Seth Rogen finishes it up saying she really slapped the shit out of him like six times. And eventually he said, I can't do this anymore. Um, Mm. The reason I would just immediately apologize is because Alex once slapped me. In a in a fashion like this, <laughs> which is on video, somebody's got this on video. Where we're playing this game, I don't remember what game exactly it was, but I had to do something called a hurricane Katrina shot, where oh, right. I had to take a shot of whiskey. Alex then threw a cup of water in my face and slapped me, <laughs> and she also sort of maybe cupped my ear a little bit, mm-hmm. and the whole side of my head hurt for like two days. That was unintentional, the the ear cuffing. (laughs) And I love how in the video of it, you can see you're laughing as you do it. And as soon as you do it, like all the blood drains from your face because you realize how hard you hit me. (laughs) Didn't I? Did I throw water in you or did I lick my hand? Uh, You did both. You you (laughs) threw the cup of water at me. And while I was recovering from that, you've in slow motion on this video, wicked your hand and hit me harder than I've ever been hit in my life. That's what best friends do. That Sam. is what best friends do. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the movie where we're still in the convenience store. We've got beams of blue light that start coming out of the sky and carrying away several store customers. The frightened Seth Rogen and Jay Baruchel flee to James Franco's home amid explosions, vehicular crashes, mass and mass chaos, as well as the convenience store clerk getting crushed by a giant HVAC unit. Uh, <laughs> but they find that the party is still going on undisturbed by the blue beams. Uh, everybody kind of laughs at Jay's account, but rush outside because a powerful earthquake in James Franco's new giant supermansion uh, is felt inside, and they see the Hollywood Hills are on fire. Uh, Isn't it kind of weird, though, at that point, too, sorry to interrupt it, you, that um, Seth Rogen just completely throws Jay under the bus. He absolutely does. Like, he is not a, he's not being a good friend. No, not, not by any means. Like, I, I would understand the aspect of, like, not seeing the blue beams, because when yes. that was happening, he was buried under shelving and canned under the goods. snacks. <laughs> um, but he saw all the shit that was happening out on the street while they were running back. So it's, it's mm-hmm. definitely a shitty move that he completely yep. throws Jay under the bus. Um, everybody goes outside and a large crack opens up in the earth and Michael Sarah gets impaled by like a lamp a lamppost post, I think 
but it's so coked out of his mind that he's just like, what's happening? This doesn't feel right. Well, and right before that, too, he's yelling at someone for taking his phone, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I feel like is such a coked out douchebag <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> he's yelling at someone for stealing his phone. And then as soon as he gets impaled, he realizes that his phone is in his back pocket. <laughs> Uh, but we see, after Michael Sarah's untimely death, we see Christopher Mintz-Plass, Rihanna, Mindy Kaling, Aziz Ansari, and Kevin Hart fighting with each other. Jason Siegel and David Krumholtz all eventually fall into the pit that opens up one way or the other. Uh, one of my favorites being Kevin Hart trying to get away from Aziz, who's fallen in but holding on to Kevin's ankle. And mm-hmm. just watching those two really short guys fight with each other is just a lot of fun for me. It was great. I watched how they filmed that, too. They have a bunch of, like, behind-the-scenes footage on YouTube, Mm -hmm. and it's just hilarious. It's a bunch of, like, super famous celebrities just throwing themselves, like, into this pit, and there's a bunch of, um, like, gymnastic mats on the bottom, (laughs) and it looks like so much fun. (laughs) Um, I know one of the things that they were talking about uh, during this scene is the way Aziz Ansari's arm breaks off. Okay. Um, Everybody thought it was really funny until James Franco saw it, and he said, no, there's no way that your arm is going to break off like that, because mm-hmm. it just kind of, like, pops. And if you're watching closely, you can actually see there's, like, a, f- a flash of light at the elbow where, like, his arm snaps off. Okay. Because um, he was like, I was in 127 hours where I had to lose my arm. I know how this <laughs> is supposed to happen. Like, there is no way that this would, it would happen like this. And when that, when he said that, that's how later on in the movie... Uh, there's a reference to him being in 127 hours because this movie is mostly just a bunch of f- people that are really close with each other that have worked together for years, just endlessly making fun of each other for their worst decisions, re- their worst movies, right. things about and their personal all of lives. their old movie props. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Baruchel, Franco, Hill, and Robinson survive, and they learn the largest earthquake in California has struck, or in the history of California has struck L.A., Believing that as famous actors, they will soon be rescued because that's apparently what happens. And it's kind of true because they can can afford whatever (laughs) they need. Uh, The five take inventory of all of the available supplies, which include all the food um, with a lot of focus on a Milky Way bar, uh, all the water that they have, the various drugs they have and the prop pistol that uh, James Franco has. Uh, and the recording camera from 127 hours. Yes, and the backpack from 127 <laughs> hours. Um, all of which were the actual props from those movies. Mm-hmm. They just called the studios and were like, hey, we're doing this movie where we're all playing ourselves. Can we get these props from our movies? And they said, sure. Can I borrow that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they helped set up a ration system, board up the doors and windows, and await for rescue to arrive. Uh, the next morning, however, a wrench gets thrown into the work when everybody's favorite... Uh, eastbound and downer, uh, Danny McBride, who was apparently there the entire time and just fell asleep mm. somewhere. Uh, in the bathtub. Yeah, fell asleep in the bathtub. He wakes up first and decides that he's just going to make everybody breakfast. You know, thanks for throwing <gasps> this dynamite party. I'm going to be a good guy and make you all breakfast. Um, which, you know, nice thing to do. Nice guy, Danny it McBride. Is. <laughs> Um, unbeknownst, if the circumstances are unbeknownst to him, yes, yeah. it is a very nice thing to do. Uh, so he's got no idea what's been going on and goes through pretty much all of the supplies uh, and believes or and doesn't believe anybody's account until a desperate outsider seeking aid uh, pokes his head in through one of the boarded up doors trying to get in. 
uh, where they all kind of debate whether or not to let him in. And as Danny says, fuck this shit, I'm going to let him in. The dude gets his head cut off by whatever's outside, and they end up playing an impromptu round of soccer inside with the guy's head. What do you head. think? Do you let him in, Sammy? Um, no. No, I no. don't think so either. And also just, you know, as someone who is, you know, at the moment sort of stuck in their house trying to keep supplies up, when he went through all of their food in that one day, <laughs> or that one meal, it, like, broke my heart. Well, they tried I to felt like, like my rip, anxiety rising. They tried to, like, rip the bacon out of his mouth and shit. <laughs> yeah. No bacon for no you. No bacon for you. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm not letting that guy in. Sorry. No, no Sorry, way. Bald. Sorry, bald guy. I assume that he's, like, one of James Franco's neighbors. Yeah. And if James Franco wanted him at the party, he would have been at the party. Yeah, you weren't invited so to the like, party. You're not invited to the quarantine. Yeah, there, there's a reason this guy wasn't there in the first place. I'm not letting him the fuck in. Plus, it would take I a didn't... really long time to get the boards off the doors and let him in. Yeah, although they did board up like half of their half of his house with like canvas wall art. Yeah, it wouldn't work too well. <laughs> Which I don't not really the feel Rogan. would work very well. Take me. Take the Franco, don't leave the yeah, Rogan. Yeah, leave the Rogan, take me instead. Those are some of the worst. And I feel like I read somewhere that a lot of the art actually was painted by James Franco. Yeah, so James Franco is an interesting individual all unto himself. Um, mm. He smokes more weed than Snoop Dogg. Hell yeah. And uh, he's he's very open about it. He's very on record about it. Uh, you know, The guy's got all sorts of things going on. I think he's got like a couple of PhDs or some shit. Uh, mm-hmm. He reads a ton, which they make a joke about in the movie. Um, he does artwork. Uh, he does all sorts of shit. And the reason he says he smokes so much weed is because his brain is always going at like such a ridiculous rate that he can't get it to like stop or calm down unless he's like high right. enough to kill me. Um, yeah. And so it doesn't. Isn't it a while ago that James Franco was selling art that you couldn't actually see? What? Like non non visible <laughs> art? Yeah, I think he sold a a painting, quote unquote painting, of non visible art. I think it was for like ten thousand dollars or something like that. Holy shit! <laughs> he's he's a kooky guy. He is a kooky guy. Um, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to learn that those are his actual paintings that he made for the movie, uh, yeah. just to help set up a joke. Uh, just for fun. Just for fun. <laughs> um, so. Everybody that's in the house after after the impromptu decapitation soccer game uh, passed the time by taking all of the drugs and deciding to film a homemade sequel to the 2008 film Pineapple Express, <laughs> uh, which most of the people that are in the house at this point appeared in. Um, there was a note that I had about this somewhere. Well, this, this was actually supposed to be, this was their idea for the actual sequel to Pineapple Express, was it not? Yes. <laughs> which I guess they decided they weren't going to do, so they might as well just use it for the movie. Yeah, and it's actually part of the reason they were able to get some of the props uh, that they okay. used in the movie. Um, so in Pineapple Express 2, the way that they filmed it for this movie has, I guess, was supposed to be featuring Woody Harrelson? Yes. <laughs> as who the guy who wants to make weed legal. <laughs> and so Red... From the first movie, played by Danny McBride, does not like that. <laughs> um, so Pineapple Express is actually the way they got Rihanna into the movie in the first place. Because uh, okay. apparently it's one of her favorite movies. Hell yeah. Uh, so they just reached out to her and were like, hey, we're, we're making this movie. Do you want to be in it for like five minutes and maybe slap mm-hmm. the shit out of <laughs> Michael Sarah? <Cera. Cera. laughs> 
but as far as uh, the, the Pineapple Express 2 that they made, uh, according to Evan Goldberg in this GQ inter- interview, um, we've discussed Pineapple Express 2 for years. We all had such a good time making that movie, so we're, while we were writing this one, we discussed the idea of them filming a sequel to one of our other movies within this one. In the end, we chose Pineapple Express because we had most of the cast there. Mm-hmm. Um, this was one of the ideas the studio was a little unsure of, and I don't like to admit this, but we said, yeah, maybe you're right. So we took it out of the script. After I told this to James on set, I've never seen his eyes light up uh, more. He jumped out of his chair saying, we have to do that. That's the best part of the ple- whole movie. Please, it's so good. We only need half a day. Yep, I think it was a great addition. I think it is a great addition, <laughs> but this is also where we kind of get the little retread from Be Kind Rewind. Because um, that's more or less the premise of that entire movie is they accidentally mm-hmm. delete all of the VHS tapes in the store uh, <laughs> with an electromagnet, and then uh, I think it's I think it's Jack Black and Mo's Def. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. They grab whatever they can along with a shitty little video camera and uh, reshoot the movies starring themselves. I forgot about that movie actually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's see. Um, tensions rise after this, uh, and due to various conflicts, including Jay and Seth's growing estrangement and the other skepticism of Jay's belief that the disasters might be the apocalypse that the book of revelations predicts. Uh, he grabbed Franco's Holy Bible that I can only begin to imagine as to why that's even in James Franco's house. I don't know. He likes to read. He He does like to read. I'm sure he's probably read it. Um, We get uh, the return of Emma Watson, who shows up armed uh, and reports mysterious animal noises happening outside. Uh, But she doesn't stick around very long uh, because of a rape joke. (laughs) (laughs) A very long and drawn out rape conversation. A very long and drawn out (laughs) rape joke. Um, it's pretty much Jay brings up the fact that it's six dudes in a house during what could, in his mind, only be the end of times, and Emma Watson, and uh, just who's gonna rape her? Right. His worry is is that they don't. He doesn't want to make her feel uncomfortable, like they would rape yeah. her. Yeah. Right? And then it turns into <laughs> Danny McBride deflecting and saying that Jay's got rape face, and. Mm. Calling somebody calls Craig uh, Craig Robinson that elephant in the room, <laughs> um, but this is one of the few scenes in the movie that was actually mostly scripted. So according to Evan Goldberg, it was pretty scripted because you can't play around too much with that topic. We had to make sure we actually had it and that it wasn't offensive. But you mm-hmm. know, there was no scene in the movie that didn't have improv at all. This one had a few good moments. The whole stuff about the elephant in the room. Uh, things about Craig and that that's racist joke was all improv, but the rest was scripted, uh, which I think is a really good decision. Um, that's a smart way to go about it. I be- think there's probably little room for misstep when you're making a pretty long winded rape joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause this scene lasts a good couple of minutes. It is a, it, it is, is a very long drawn out rape joke. Um, and then when you figure out that she can hear them from her bedroom and just comes out and is like, you all want to rape me? Yeah, she comes out with the, <laughs> the, the hatchet and starts swinging uh-huh. at everybody. And uh, <laughs> decides to uh, say, fuck this shit, I'm leaving, but give me all of your drinks first. Yep, give me all your beverages. Uh, I did read somewhere that uh, originally they had Mila Kunis cast okay. in this um, in this role, but obviously that did not turn out. 
I like Mila Kunis. I think it's funnier though to see Emma Watson just because like yeah. and and Emma Watson has done a lot of stuff since Harry Potter. Right. But she's always going to be what people that's know what people her know her as. as. So it's just it's really funny to see her in a role like this. Uh so after she takes off with all of their liquids uh in the pineapple express bag <laughs> in, in the pineapple express backpack uh craig robinson draws the burnt match to get chosen to travel outside to the cellar under the house to find the water the uh james franco keeps the, down there along with all of his I random have a other hard shit. time believing that his fancy ass house doesn't have a way to get to the basement from his actual house. right his tv comes up out of the ground right why does he not have some stairs that go to his basement? I don't get it. I don't get it. It's such a poorly designed house. It is. It's just ridiculous. It, it is the perfect house for James Franco and nobody else. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what do you think about that t- uh, TV coming out of the floor? I think it's fucking dope. I feel like I would just break it or trip over no, it. No, because when you're not using it, it's in the floor and it's perfectly fine. I know, flat. but I wouldn't put it down. I feel like I would forget to put it down all the way or I'd spill water on the floor. That's what I'd be worried about is like water seeping in through like the cracks where the thing comes up. Or like my cat would pee pee on it. No, I feel like if anyone's going to pee on it, it's probably been my dog. <laughs> Stupid dog would take a fucking piss. I'd have to put pee pads over it <laughs> before we took the TV down. I feel like I would. And like if I had something like that, it would be in a room that I'm not always in. And I feel like after mm. a certain amount of time, I would forget that it's there. And I'd get like a piece of furniture and put it right on top yep. and then be like, hey, where's that TV? And I press it and just everything breaks. Yeah. All the things, all your fancy things break. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Craig Robinson goes out and he tries to find all this stuff. Uh, the group successfully reaches the water uh, by digging through the floor because Craig, with a baseball bat, there's a baseball bat, <laughs> a tire iron and something yeah. else. Cause Craig can't find it. He comes running back inside. Um, they, they try out like a, a little system where they tie a rope around him. And if it gets pulled on, they have to pull him back in. Uh, it doesn't work very well. Um, so they yep. end up digging through the floor and they find the water. Uh, but Danny McBride uh, ends up kind of ruining it. Uh, he's he's not happy about the rationing system. He says that he's like he weighs a hundred pounds more than Jay Baruchel, so he should get the equivalent amount of rations compared to him um, mm. instead of it just all being divided equally. Uh, so he gets pissed off and takes the two water jugs and just starts pouring them all over himself. Oh, oh damn! Um, so. He gets kicked out after a, a long fight where he says, we agree that I'm leaving. But he calls out Jay at this point, um, saying that he knew that Jay was in town like the year before mm-hmm. and kept it a secret. Um, and Seth had no idea. So, Seth, that's right. This is kind of where their re- uh, their relationship really just fractures completely. So Seth's kind of been a dick to Jay this whole time. Uh, you know, when they first showed up to the party, Jay was like, don't don't fucking ditch me. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know these people. And the very first thing Seth does is <laughs> ditch him. Um, right. And he doesn't want to be at this party at all anyways. Right. He's much more comfortable back at Seth's place, just eating hamburgers and smoking weed. And yeah. Watching 3D TV. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, but this this moment shows that, hey, Jay's not. The fucking perfect guy, either. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, when they're when they're all sitting around talking about the rapture being possible, um, James Franco says that you know if you're saying that all these people that are getting raptured are good people and everyone left behind isn't, then you're saying we're all assholes and you're still here, which means you're an asshole. How does that feel? Right. Well, now we know why 
Jay's an asshole. Um, Do you feel like that's enough not to let him? No, I absolutely don't. I absolutely don't. Like in my head, I'm just like the only person at that table that's ever done anything bad enough to not get raptured is strangely Craig Robinson, who apparently got into a bar fight with someone and gouged out the guy's eyes. Damn, for real? That's what he says in the movie. That's crazy. Oh, right. So I feel like they're all just sort of put in this place of being like shitty, terrible people because they're in the film industry. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because they're celebrities. And I think just inherently celebrities are kind of assholes. (laughs) Even when they're trying to do nice things, I think that there's people still look at them like they're dead. Like in my mind, if uh, the, the, the number one person that I hope doesn't get raptured, if this ever actually happened, that's an actor or actress is Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm, she's just gooping down all by herself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> None for you, Gwyneth. <laughs> but like, okay, so you didn't tell your friend you were in town. Like, that doesn't... Yeah. That, that's not a great thing for your friendship, but that doesn't make you, like, an inherently bad person. No, uh, absolutely not. Um, so, yeah, this is, <laughs> these are the conversations <laughs> that we end up with. Uh, but Dana McBride agrees to leave. And in the interest of helping him stay safe outside, James gives Danny the gun, um, which he immediately turns around and tries to shoot everybody with. (laughs) So amazing. (laughs) Um, Which shows Danny McBride not a great person either. No, no, Danny McBride in this movie is terrible. (laughs) Um, It it turns out that the the bullets that they were showing off early on were prop bullets, uh, so it's all Mm -hmm. just a bunch of blanks, uh, and he gets real pissed off and just fucking leaves the house. Uh, Craig Robinson's experience with all of this causes him to start believing Jay's theory of the apocalypse and that the blue beams as a part of the rapture have taken good people to heaven. Um, he volunteers to go on the next uh, exploration to find food and water uh, with Jay, who ends up drawing the burnt match at that point. Um, while they're out, we see Jonah Hill lying in bed, secretly praying to God and wishing for Jay to die. Um, That's right. Who, so he does hate Jay he does, this whole time. Because he's he like, Jay's being Jay. an asshole. Like, yeah, Seth is the I nicest guy that... in the world. I love Seth, and I've tried being nice to Jay, but Jay's just being a giant asshole, and I feel like he's the reason that we're stuck here. Just get rid of him. So you don't think that he really did hate Jay the whole time, and that when Jay was not, so the, and that Jay was being... Like, I don't think he was being paranoid when he was like, no, that guy doesn't fucking like me. I don't think he, like, hated Jay. I think it's one of those moments where, you know, you've been friends with someone for a really long time, and that Mm -hmm. friend makes a new friend. Right. Who, like, you just, you're you're like, no, I don't like this person. And that person's just trying so hard for you to like them. We go through this all the time. (laughs) We're a very tight-knit group of people. You're right. I don't make new friends because I know they're not going to like you, and I know you're not going to like them, and I don't want anyone <laughs> to not like you because then I'm not going to like them. I'm sorry. I think that everybody likes <laughs> me. You can't even say I'm it a nice laughing. lady. <laughs> I'm a nice lady, okay? People fucking like me. <laughs> uh, so, so while he's praying to God, mm. uh, we get a demonic possession thrown into the mix. Oh, do we ever? Oh, do we ever? So Jonah Hill gets uh, raped by an incubus mm. uh, as he's sleeping. He uh, it crawls up and under the blankets, and, and then rapes him, and then possesses him. And that dong though. That dong though. Uh, <laughs> so now that he's possessed and supernaturally strong, uh, 
Jonah chases James and Seth around the house while Craig Robinson and Jay Baruchel are running from a demonic bull that they encounter in one of the houses. Um, They eventually all reconvene back at the house and the group subdues Jonah Hill where Jay decides to perform an exorcism in the only way that, and I understand it because it's the exact same way I would do it, by following (laughs) what we saw in The Exorcist. (laughs) With a makeshift uh, cross that's made of, what is it, like cups yeah. and some like barbecue utensils I yeah think. i think so <laughs> uh you know screaming the power of christ compels you over and over again while demon jonah hill is just like laughing at him he's like oh does he does christ compel me it's not very compelling <laughs> jay <laughs> um they end up kicking over a candle which sets the bed that jonah's on on fire which then sets jonah on fire which then causes a flaming jonah hill to chase him all throughout the house mm-hmm. uh and forcing everybody outside. Uh, They're regretful for the mistakes that they have made in their lives. Um, Craig Robinson, most of all, you know, he's, he's been very forthcoming with, you know, the bar fight that he was in and I'm not a good person. I deserve this. Uh, And so he decides to sacrifice himself to demon Jonah Hill so that the rest of the crew Mm -hmm. can get away. Uh, And the plan succeeds. Uh, but there's a twist. Craig Robinson gets redeemed. He gets sucked up by a blue light um, because of his good deed. And that makes the group think, hey, it's not over. We can also get raptured. So they're all sitting right. in a the car. They're like, oh, you're so funny. You're such a nice guy. You're so nice. Um, but nothing's <laughs> happening. And Seth is uh, pretty open when he's like, yeah, I thought it would be quick. I thought we'd just say a couple nice things and we'd be good to go. <laughs> Um, if only it was that easy. Yeah, it's not how it works. Uh, so for any of you out there that are thinking of maybe you need to start reforming your life in one way or another, it takes more than one fake good deed. Um, mm. Shucks. So they're driving along, and then they encounter uh, a big RV where they get out and run into Danny McBride again. <laughs> Who... So how long? That's, have, that is the one thing okay. that I've never figured out. I've watched this so movie. So they've only been in this house for a, like a what? A couple, a couple days, days, right? Yeah, it's been a couple of days. So <laughs> on the first full day of the rapture, they have everything going on with Danny McBride. Danny McBride jerks off onto the porno mag. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where we get this huge, like, I dare you to come on me fight between the two of them, which was like all right. improv and completely insane. I'd imagine by the time Emma Watson shows up, we're on, like, day three. Right, because if you think about how much water they had, right? They didn't really have any to start out with because... Well, they had, like, seven, like, little bottles of water. But then he washed his feet with it. That's true. So they really didn't have that much to begin with. So I think they've only been in the house for, like, yeah, two or three days. And so by the time, (laughs) like, they're all out of the house, I'm assuming we're on day five. So at this point... I'm assuming Danny McBride's been out of the house for like 48 hours. Okay. Maybe <laughs> maybe 72 hours by the time they run into him at this point. So in 72 I, hours, Danny McBride has commandeered an RV, put together a small cannibal army, and enlisted the greatest sex slave cameo of all time. Mm. Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> hey guys. Holy shit, that's Channing Tatum. <laughs> um, so Danny McBride's gang captures everybody and he thinks everything's really funny because oh how the tables have turned um james franco fights back and makes it so that 
Seth and Jay can run off. Uh, and they take off running, and they look back, and they see uh, James Franco about to get taken down by Dan McBride, only for a bright blue beam of light to come start lifting mm-hmm. him up. At which point, the James Franco I envision in my head comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Where he flicks off Dan McBride and tells him to suck his dick, <laughs> and then gets dropped to the ground by the blue beam of light. Yeah, I guess he's no longer wanted. No, no, you're not. You're not being very <laughs> sore. Good. Winners not appreciated. Uh, at which point, Dan McBride then chews James Franco's nose off of his face, and they all eat James Franco. Yep. Yeah, he gets eaten by like I don't know, ten or fifteen people. Yeah, I mean, food's scarce in the apocalypse. I get it. I mean, damn, how hungry can you be to eat people after like forty-eight hours? <laughs> I mean, I, and the best thing is, like, I think there's like a grocery store right behind them. I was going to say, is there not food available <laughs> for Luton? <laughs> uh, so at this point, uh, we're finally, finally at like the end of times. And Satan himself shows up with a giant 200 foot long penis modeled after Jason Siegel. And as Satan is about to consume Seth and Jay, they reaffirm their friendship and await death. They apologize to each other. Uh, you know, they, they say they mm-hmm. loved each other and everything's going to be okay. And a blue beam comes down, striking Jay and taking him up to heaven. And in, in the form of friendship, he doesn't want to leave Seth behind. He reaches out, mm-hmm. grabs him, and the two of them are floating up. But, and they get, they get up to the clouds. They, they're almost there. They and get- then all of a sudden, it's just like Seth's ass is too fat. You know, he shouldn't have yeah. eaten that burger. He was doing so good. <laughs> He was staying away from the gluten. Yeah, all of the glutens, uh, but this <laughs> this beam just can't get him. So uh, he says, "You know, let me go. I don't want better for better f- you to go and me to die than both of us to die." Right? Yeah, like you're my friend. I love you. Go enjoy heaven. And so he starts falling back down, and he's falling right into Satan's mouth, right into Satan's <laughs> mouth. And a blue beam comes and bam, picks him up, cutting off the giant two hundred foot dong, which takes out some fucking building. Um, yep. And now we're in heaven. They both they both float up to heaven, and they're greeted by Craig Robinson, who's now an angel, welcoming them, uh, saying that this is a paradise where any wish comes true. So for some reason, uh, Seth's first wish, obviously, is weed. Makes mm-hmm. sense. His second wish, for whatever reason, is to be on a fucking Segway. Yeah, for sure. Very strange decision there. No, I'm sorry, what? Segways? <laughs> they seem fun. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, when are you going to get a chance to ride one? I feel like one? segways seem fun until your friends see you riding one. Yeah, but, like, you just got to live your life and ride the segway. That's true. Uh, so Craig then turns to Jay and says, you can get anything you wish for. And Jay says, anything? And all of a sudden, <laughs> calling back to the song that Jay and Seth were listening to in the car when he got picked up from the airport, the weirdest fucking part of this entire movie Backstreet Boys show up. Hell fucking yeah. To perform everybody. And have yeah, Backstreet Backstreet's Backstreet's back. And have everybody that's in heaven doing the signature choreographed dances with them. Mm-hmm. And that's Backstreet's back. Hell yeah. That's how this movie ends. <laughs> I've seen this movie five or six times. And every time I forget about Backstreet at the end of this movie. <laughs> What? Oh my god, this is like the best part. Backstreet's back from the 1997 album Backstreet Boys, okay? (laughs) I can't believe you forget this since you are pretty much look exactly like AJ. (laughs) Apparently. Yep. 
And that's that's this movie. That's it. It's a great ending. I, did you read anything about why they decided to to do the Backstreet Boys thing? Uh, I did. I didn't write it down. I'm trying to find it. If you happen to know. I don't, actually. I, I oh, wasn't really able here to find go. anything. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this is according to Evan Goldberg in an interview he did with uh, Entertainment Weekly. Uh, we initially didn't have that ending. We wrote a bunch of different heaven sequences, and we didn't have that at first. And we showed the movie to some people, and they were like, what the fuck? Where's the heaven sequence? Right. If you're going to make all this time where you're getting these people to heaven, you kind of want to see what it's like when you get Absolutely. there, right? Especially what Seth Rogen and, and um, Goldberg's take on heaven would be. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, we should have shot it because we wrote it. And then we all kept shooting different ideas around. And we had that song, Everybody Backstreet's Back, uh, in the sequence where Seth and Jay are smoking weed and hanging out again. We use that song there because the boys are back to hanging like the old days. And it occurred to all Mm. of us. What if we just had the Backstreet Boys come back (laughs) and they just so happened to watch the trailer the day before we reached out to them? One of them showed it to all the other guys. I was like, how funny is this serendipity? It just worked out. That's a fucking amazing. This movie is the epitome (laughs) of like shoot your shot. Mm. Um, Like. Everything they pull off in this movie, from Backstreet Boys to Rihanna to having pretty much every famous comedian nowadays in this movie playing themselves Mm -hmm. and dying, only happens if you just ask. Right? All the movie props. Yeah. It's just like, hey, we're doing this completely absurd thing. Do you want to be a part of it? Yeah. Do you think that you might want to join? And I feel like... I feel like filming a movie with Seth Rogen is probably fun as compared to some other directors i feel like he's probably a little less uptight yeah (laughs) i feel like it it would be fun so because this movie is a lot of improv Mm -hmm. uh there were a number of times where tensions flared a little bit because everyone's just kind of like egging each other on even more and more and occasionally you cross a line i i feel like you could see that a lot with like i don't know maybe James Franco's character. (laughs) So James Franco was actually, so Seth Rogen and James Franco did and said everything that they were scripted to do or everything that they were suggested to do. Seth, because of the fact that he was writing and directing it and James, just because that man has zero chill. Um, Right. And it was one of those where it actually became a game for Evan Goldberg to try to see what line he could cross before James Franco would say no. He probably did not. He never did. Ever he, say he, that. Never, nope. he never found it. He managed to get every single person in this movie to say that they weren't going to do something except for James Franco. Okay. Um, one of the things that uh, came up, though, was there are a lot of things that people weren't comfortable with saying or doing. Uh, okay. Jay Baruchel specifically was not okay with. Uh, some of the jokes about Canada that were originally written. God, oh, what the fuck? Um, or jokes about his mom. Okay. Uh, what? I mean, what kind of... What, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, like, what type of Canada joke would be 
so offensive that he would not want to say it on the movie. Yeah, I don't. Probably a, but, it's probably a joke. You, he when he did roll up into the airport in the beginning, he's wearing a Canadian's hat. I bet you it was a joke about the. Yeah. Maybe it was a joke about the hockey team. Probably people get really defensive about the Canadians. Uh, Craig Robinson said there was only one line specifically that he wouldn't do. Uh, he doesn't remember exactly what the line was, but it was something involving Mother Teresa, and he said, "No, no, please don't make me say that." Uh, <laughs> Evan Goldberg said that he'll never say what it was about because Craig was right to shut me down about it and the line went way too far so we let this unknown Mother Teresa joke fade away Um, Seth Rogen said there was a scene where Jonah is praying to God uh, which Mm -hmm. is the one where he's asking Jay to get killed and he says Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we said say God I will literally suck your dick if you kill Jay he said it and he didn't want to say that he said it once and then the second time he said I don't want to do that anymore (laughs) no more for me no more for me thank you um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie, uh, and, uh, regarding the improv and just kind of people getting under each other's skin a little bit and getting picked apart. Craig Robinson said, somebody gets you, you get him back. I heard an improv that was about me where somebody said, how old is Craig? And the other person said, I don't know. Was he into temptations? <laughs> uh, it never went really dark. It never went too far in a bad way, but I would be lying if I didn't say that a few people got hurt a few times emotionally, myself included. When you're making mm. a movie like this, it's just impossible not to. People prey on the other person's worst movies, uh, which McBride follows up by saying, you're like, all right, what could they come after me about? What am I insecure about? What can I go after them about? How do I act towards James? Like, do we have any ill will because of your the movie Your Highness being a flop? To which James Franco says, Your Highness, that movie sucks. You can't get around it. Which is why <laughs> James Franco says and does everything that was asked of him, because that guy just doesn't care. No, I don't think he gives a shit. Yeah. Which is kind of admirable, it, I guess. It definitely is. Um, so you put together, or you sent me a video that you came across that has the total kill count yes. for this movie. Yeah, I found that um, video on YouTube. And I think it was 37 total yes. kills, right? Right. So starting from the lady who gets hit with the HVAC unit, including all of the people that die in the pit... So a lot of them you don't really, you know, know. There's like 10 or 12 like, of them that happen really quick yeah. right at the beginning. Right. And then you've got, like, the, the helicopter pilots. That's uh, right. You've got car crashes. You've got Danny McBride ripping James Franco's face off. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You've got the guy who gets decapitated. You've got Jonah Hill's flaming demon corpse. Um, yep. All sorts of kills. What's your favorite one? We haven't done this in a, in, in a really long time where we've talked about our we favorite haven't. kills in a movie. And I feel like this movie has so, ma- so much variety. That yes, it's, it does. There's something for everybody, yeah, I think. It's the perfect opportunity to figure out which kill is our favorite. So I had a hard time picking between two. But I'm going to go with the decapitation of bald neighbor man. Okay. <laughs> Only because... I love the conversation beforehand where they're trying to figure out whether they'll let him in or not. And then also how after he's dead or after his head comes off, they kick it around like a soccer ball. <laughs> and I just feel like the amount of blood that is kind of spewed across the tile floor or the hardwood floor, it's, it's pretty epic. Yeah. That is a lot of blood that's just pouring it's out of that It's a lot head. of blood. And it looked pretty realistic, I will say. Yeah. The blood's, you know, as a, as a blood splatter aficionado. It um, wasn't Danny McBride saying that, like, everything going on outside was fake until the guy's head yeah. got cut off. He's like, that's a real fucking head! Yeah, yeah, so that's the moment for him where he, he you know, gained some clarity on the actual 
you know, brevity of the situation. It's amazing <laughs> to see how quickly he goes from like that moment of panic to yes, fuck you, I'm gonna leave to hey, look at my cannibal army. <laughs> exactly. He just like escalates things really quickly. <laughs> but no, the, yeah, so so bald neighbor decapitation was my favorite. Okay. Um <laughs> I like what they did with the Michael Sarah death, but it was a little too obvious, especially for someone who's not who believes Michael Sarah's that way anyway. I don't want to see him go out like that. I want to. How can you believe Michael Sarah's like I, that? I just when literally think, everyone just fake. says he's so nice. I think it's all fake. You think it's like I think it's like I a, think that he like in real life. No, I think uh-huh. he in real life is what Jonah Hill is in this movie. Oh, okay. So like too nice, too it nice. comes across yeah. like not genuine. Yeah, like I think as soon as you walk out of the room, that dude is just loading up Hollywood rails. <laughs> <laughs> like Michael Sarah butt chugs. Yes, Michael Sarah <laughs> butt chugs bleach to prevent getting coronavirus. And then snorts. Coke. And then snorts coke because he wants okay. to stay awake to make sure that he doesn't get the coronavirus. Um, right. So if it's not the the Michael Sarah death, then which one is your favorite? Mine, I think I've got to go with uh, Aziz and Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> so good. Just because he's holding on to the only person in this movie that's smaller than he is, right? Who's trying to get him the fuck off of him? Loses his arm and on his way down, just screams "fuck you, Kevin." <laughs> right. And even before that, too, it's really, it's funny to me how many people pass Aziz on sorry by and do not help him or try to actively kick him into the pit. Yeah. Like Craig Robinson is like, nah, man. Like, <laughs> sorry, you're on your own, dogs. You're already in the pit. Like, it's too, too far. <laughs> and he's like, I'm three feet away from you. <laughs> so nobody wants to help Aziz. And this was before that Babes article came out about yeah. it. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> This is before everyone was kind of thought that Aziz Ansari was kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. But it's right. He's had his redemption tour. Oh, yeah. He's whatever. Um, All right. So you you obviously don't agree with me on Michael Sarah's personality being what it is in this movie. No. With all of these people playing these exaggerated versions of themselves, who do you think is probably the closest to what they are in real life? Okay, so I think that the obvious one would be, first and foremost, Seth Rogen. Oh, yeah. Right? I feel like he kind of plays the same character. Even in, you know, non-stoner comedies, I feel like he kind of plays the same Seth Rogen-esque type of guy. But So if I'm taking Seth Rogen off the table, I would, I would say James Franco. Absolutely. I, think, I, <laughs> wait, I don't think James Franco was acting. In this movie. No, I don't think so. And I think they just had to say that so that people weren't like, oh, okay, James Franco really is a fucking loon. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, everybody knows he is in real life. And he's yeah. okay with it because he's just like, yeah, I'm crazy as fuck. I'm a, I'm a total weirdo. Yeah. But I'm also, like, wildly brilliant and, yeah. like, incredibly creative. And most people don't people... understand me. And honestly, I don't understand me. Right. People like... People like a, an artist with some, you know, uniqueness. <laughs> but no, I think definitely uh, James Franco's character was probably the least exaggerated. If you know, obviously I don't know him, but that would be my guess. Yeah. What about most exaggerated? Besides, let's take Michael Sarah off the table. Um. Well, you... <laughs> yeah. I. Well, for for like most accurate, I'd probably go with Craig Robinson because I feel like Craig Robinson okay. just plays it like super chill and just about everything he's in. Um, yeah. For most exaggerated, I'm going to go with Danny McBride. Like, 
so yeah. it, it's a weird one to pick that because if you've watched <laughs> Eastbound and Down or right. most anything else that he's been in, even Hot Rod yeah, that we just watched, like he always <laughs> plays that kind of character, and this was yeah. just like this was just him from Eastbound and Down just cranked up to eleven. It's just like. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want, fuck you guys, and I'm going to eat your face. Yep. Uh, With Channing Tatum as my sex day. Yeah. Sex life. Um, that, just when he talks about how he just <laughs> fucks Channing Tatum, and Channing Tatum turns around, and he's wearing, like, a jock with no <laughs> pants on, so it's just his bare ass. I cannot with that. That is, like, literally the most hilarious part it's of this movie. It's such a wild cameo. It's probably the greatest like, cameo of all time. I'm just so, I'm like, I, you know, I don't really know a lot about Channing Tatum, like, you know, Magic Bike or whatever. But, like, good for him for agreeing to that. Yeah. What a good fucking sense of humor that guy must have. I think the most uh, exaggerated character is Jonah Hill, because I do not think that Jonah Hill is that nice. <laughs> oh, there's no fucking way. <laughs> he totally he totally seems like kind of a dick, but, like, in a good way, you know. Ah. <laughs> Like I have a hard time. I don't. I really don't know that much about him, but I have a hard time believing that he's like that sweet. <laughs> well, so apparently in real life, Danny McBride is just like incredibly sweet and incredibly quiet. But the issue is like everybody knows Danny McBride and the roles he plays. So when right. he's out in public, that's just like what people expect him to be like. So right. he kind of just like he always gets requests to like say things from the- his stuff. And it's just like, I don't really go out that much anymore. I can imagine that would be kind of difficult. Yeah. People, like, people expect a very outlandish version of yourself when you're, you know, because I was reading that, you know, they don't really bring families into this because at the time, Danny McBride, you know, just got married and had a newborn. And, like, they don't talk, like, none of the, the you know, characters in this movie have families, right? Yeah. They're all, for all intents and purposes, they're all single yeah. Actors. <laughs> well, I mean, the story kind of, when the movie was made, the storyline, or the basic storyline, at least, between Jay and Seth, kind of actually mirrored reality. You know, at this point, Seth had moved to L.A. He was mm-hmm. acting and producing and directing some stuff. And Jay was still living up in Vancouver. Um, but right. the two of them, you know, they, they grew up together. They've been friends since they were 18, and they're both in their, like, late 30s now. Or or mm-hmm. close to forty, early forties, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was very much one of those things where, like, they for a long time they didn't see each other nearly as much as they used to, and they, but like the Jay was very candid about it. He said, you know, the big difference between the movie and then you know real life is that like we never really grew apart. Like right. we we've been so close for so long. It's just like he's like a cousin of mine, and mm-hmm. you know we we talk all the time, and whenever we see each other, we pick up right where we left off. Mm-hmm. Um, James Franco, on the other hand, um, this is this is what I was looking for. So, a few years ago, James Franco did this thing where he spent one hour on camera uh-huh. uh, on Google Hangouts, doing whatever mm-hmm. the people in the chat asked him to do. Okay. Um, it included twerking with a cat. Okay. Painting a picture of Seth Rogen with peanut butter, <laughs> okay. making out with a dirty yellow sock. Okay. And, like, it is the weirdest fucking thing, and it is exactly like this movie where it's just like, we're going to ask James Franco to do all this weird shit, and he's not going to say no. Right. Like, th- this guy doesn't say no to anything. So he's probably yeah. the most spot-on representation of the actors in this movie. 
Right. Oh, and I found the yeah. invisible art thing you were talking about. Okay. Yep. Jeez. I feel like James Franco at one point too also got in trouble for like sliding into the DMs of some underage girl on Instagram. Yep. Yep. He's and done that. Yes. So he's there's also a few, you know, problematic things that have come up from James Franco. So he's not, not all just fun kooky artist. Yeah, in 2014, he messaged a 17-year-old fan on Instagram trying to get her to come to his hotel. <laughs> come to my house party. Yeah. <laughs> um, and apparently has uh, a somewhat uh, sordid history with being an alleged pervert. Um, <laughs> little little pervy? Little pervy. <laughs> uh, Allegedly. Yeah. So... Through all of this, we've gotten mm-hmm. all the way to the end, and now we just need to answer the one question we talked about at the beginning. That's right. Is this a horror movie? And if it's not, is it even considered a genre movie? Okay. I'll I'll start by saying, no, this is not a horror movie. Not by any means. Okay. But I do think that it fits within genre as, you know, it is apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Um Horror comedies do exist. We've I'm a big fan of a lot of them. Um, mm-hmm. So just because this movie is funny as shit doesn't automatically uh, disqualify it. Um, and there's a shitload of gore for a movie right. that's... If it's not a genre film, like, the only other movies that have this kind of violence are, like, war movies. Right. So why do you not consider it a horror movie, then? And if this is not a horror movie or a horror comedy, then how can something like Shaun of the Dead be considered a horror comedy? So Shaun of the Dead, I would consider a horror comedy because there's a lot more of the stuff going on around them. Like this movie is so much more focused on just that group of people where you don't see a lot of what's going on outside of it. That works in like traditional horror movies like Jaws. You know, you don't see the shark very much. Um, but you do see the devil, and you see the the beast, and you see the rapey, would you call it an incubus? Yeah. You know? And there's so many references to horror movies. Not so many, but there are a few. There are a few. You know, there's that, there's that reference to Rosemary's Baby. There's obviously the references to The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. You know, there's references to other sort of post-apocalyptic Walking Dead-esque movies that could all be, or show, rather, that could all be kind of considered horror. Yeah. There's the fucking devil. There's the fucking <laughs> devil. I think it's just like, even with Shaun of the Dead, which is a funny movie, or like Tucker and mm-hmm. Dale versus Evil, which is a funny movie. Like, I I always view this movie as more of a comedy because it's it's just so goddamn funny. Do you that, like, think it's disarming di- how funny this Do movie is? If it was a different cast, would you consider it to be more of a horror movie or a horror comedy? Is it just because they're the characters are playing themselves that you can't? I think if it was a different cast, I wouldn't think it's so funny. But I also don't think the movie would be so funny. Like if you no, if you tried to make like a straight movie of just like house party, bunch of actors playing roles. There's a big right. house party. The apocalypse happens. All this shit goes on. Mm-hmm. You lose like eighty percent. Of what right. makes this movie so fucking funny. So is this movie too meta to be a horror movie? Then? I think it might be. <laughs> I like I don't know. I've I've been like torn on how to view this. Like I definitely consider it within genre films. Right. But it's it's so goddamn funny. I'm not used to horror movies being this funny. Like even right. even horror comedies, like and as much as I love Edgar Wright stuff or mm-hmm. you know 
Tucker and Dale or any of the other ones that we've talked about. Um, like none of them are this funny. None of them are this outlandish and over the top. So you're, so it's too funny to be a horror movie. For I you. think so. Okay. I disagree. Okay. I feel like the, the horror references and the amount of gore and just the subject matter at hand makes this a horror movie. You can tell that at least Seth Rogen or, um, Oh, shit, what's his name? Goldberg? What's Evan Goldberg. Name? Right. I, you can tell they enjoy horror movies. Yeah. And it's written with a love of horror movies in mind, I think. Mm-hmm. So. And I, uh, so, once again, I want to give them credit. Is enough? <laughs> uh, the penis is. Satan's dong. Pe- Satan's Lovecraftian Satan's dong. Satan's dong is Lovecraftian. When, when it gets cut off and it starts, like, kind of going <laughs> like this on its way down to the ground, like it's going to fly off like it's a bat now. Yeah. Right. It becomes, like, its own own entity. Yeah. <laughs> And then I, I do appreciate that Satan picks up his penis. And like yeah. the last image we have of him is like him like shaking his penis at heaven. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I need this. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's this movie. You got, you got anything else for this one? No, I think we pretty much covered it. I just, yeah, I think it's a, I'm, I'm upset or not upset, but I'm, it's unfortunate that Palmer couldn't be here because I feel like he probably would have had a good time with this movie. Yeah. Um, and people make fun of Seth Rogen's laugh just about as much as they make fun of Palmer's. So That's true. <laughs> they even make fun of it in the movie when he's picking up Jay at the airport. They're like, hey, Seth, hey, it's Seth Rogen. Do the laugh. And he's like, and he just like laughs normally. And the guy goes, no, no, do the Seth Rogen laugh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, no, I think we pretty much covered it. All right. It. Well, that's that then. Uh, we've smoked all the weed we could find this month and finally wrapped it up. But next. I had to result to weird old garage weed I found. <laughs> In a matchbox. Are you sure it was weed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, next month, we're going to go in a more musically focused direction. And Palmer's got some ideas up his sleeve that he won't share with us just yet. Uh, I think it's going to be Metal May, if that lends anybody's nice. ideas to what we might be covering. Because I sure as shit don't know. Uh, in the meantime, though, you can follow us all on social media like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Terra Incognito. We forgot to rate the movie, Sam. Oh, my God, we fucking did. Wow. (laughs) This is what happens. I didn't even write it down in my notes. All right. All right. right. So, and what are we rating it out of? Ooh, we got so many options. Uh, We can do either Satan Dongs. We can do Mm -hmm. James Franco props. We can do James Franco's invisible artwork. (laughs) We can do (laughs) Seth Rogen laughs. Uh, Let's do it out of Seth Rogen laughs. I'm going to give this movie uh, four and a quarter Seth Rogen laughs. All right, I am going to give this movie a four, Seth Rogen. Okay. Um, I'm torn on where Palmer would end up with this one. Right. Like, I think that he would probably give it a 3.75. Okay. All right. Uh, so, three. So, that, that puts us right at a four, right? Yeah, I think All so. All right, so four, four actual Seth Rogen laughs. I think that that's a fair. That's a fair score. Yeah, that feels right. I I always mm-hmm. forget how much I enjoy this movie. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's not on Netflix. It's not on Hulu. It's not on any of those services unless you want to buy them on like Amazon or iTunes. Um, you can rent it on Amazon right now though for a dollar ninety nine in HD. Yeah. Um, so it's a deal. So it's it's shocking to me. I, I feel like this movie uh, this movie did really well when it was in theaters. Um, it definitely, I feel like, has a cult following. Because um, mm-hmm. I know the first time that I saw this movie, 
you know, at that point I already, like, I knew all the people that were in it. Um, but I reacted to this movie the first time I saw it the same way I did to Club Dread. Okay. Where I was just like, <laughs> this isn't at all what I was expecting from uh, the marketing and the people that are in it. Uh, but every time I watch this movie now, I just I forget how fucking hysterical it is. And I, I do really love this one. Um, so with that, back to the housekeeping now that we've given it four Seth Rogen laughs. Uh, you can follow us on social media like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Terra Incognito. Uh, you can follow us individually. I'm Sam at Sam Hebes, where you can easily reach me and tell me to stop forgetting to rate shit. Um, <laughs> you can follow Palmer at Stormsworth, where he's posting progress of his garden on Instagram and where he's creating his own farmer's market. And Alex, where can people find you? So you can find me on Twitter at A Leaders and Instagram at Amboy. There you go. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back next week. Hopefully all three of us, same quarantine time, same quarantine place with a brand new theme and a brand new month. Uh, until then, I'm going to go celebrate my birthday tomorrow by uh, mm-hmm. doing absolutely nothing because I can't go anywhere. Uh, here, here. And as <laughs> always, Alex. Keep it creepy. Love you guys.